You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez. And before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here on my right, we've got the one and only Bobby Osinski. Bobby. Hello, Mike. Hello, guys. Nice to be here. And uh, across the table from him, we've got the one and only Nick Peck. Nick. Hello, Mike. Hello, Bobby. Hi, gentlemen. How are you? Good to see you. <laughs> That's a lot of energy there, I brother. know. <laughs> and uh, joining us today, we are honored to have our good friend Mickey Caputo back with us. Hello. Glad to be back, as usual. Thanks for having me. And finally, joining us all the way from... Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, Mr. Rob Arbiter. Hello, everybody. It's also the city of extreme snowfall right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's, it's good to see you all. And if it was uh, light out, I'd hold the camera up so you could see what's going on outside. It's a winter wonderland. Well, the winter wonderland uh, is Rob Arbiter's show number one. Forty-four. Wow! Yes. wow. Yes. Congratulations. Wait, is that a special? A dozen, moment? dozen. <laughs> I clapped as if it was special. Uh, it's every day is special. <laughs> uh, anyway, but um, hey, it's good to see everybody here. This is going to be our post Nam. Um, Shingding, we're going to be talking Nam, Nam, and all Nam. Everybody here went to Nam. Rob went to Nam, and I think Scott's going to show up. He, you know what? He called me. He said he was going to be here, but at the last second, the clients had to do some changes. Duty calls. You know, they always get in the way. I know they do. They're like necessary evil. Anyhow, it's all it's that whole pesky earning a living thing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, but before we talk about Nam, I just got to bring something up that um, really it was pretty awesome, and that was Bruno Mars at the Super Bowl. I mean, that guy killed it, and and it was so great to see just a young performer who can perform, you know. And it's not sometimes you, the shows get wrapped up in all the pop and all the glitz and all the tracks and stuff like that. But man, when he started off with that drums and it went back and then that band popped up, he has probably the coolest band out there. I don't know. Did you see it? Did anybody see I, it? I, I thought it was fabulous. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan anyway, but uh, he killed it, as you said. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. And let me tell you something else. I got to give props to the LD, the lighting designer. That was probably some of the best lighting I've ever seen. You know, you don't have a truss, right? So it's a real challenge to light your, your performer out there because you don't have this big trussing because you can't get in the way. And the fact that they were lining up all those lights along the edge of the actual stadium and all shining down, I mean, it was just really dramatic, really impressive. And, and it was probably one of the best 12 minute sets I've ever seen. I mean, it was really, really cool. I could only imagine how awesome it must have been to be there. But, uh, and then the fireworks at the end. Anyhow, big fan. Not necessarily a fan of the game, though. Even though I was rooting for Seattle, that was like, ugh, that was boring. But um, it's good to see that kind of stuff happening. And, you know, the technology in, uh, in live shows and the technology in, in lighting specifically just keeps getting better and better and better and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Rob, did you watch the Super Bowl out there in Philly? Yeah, I, well, people are referring to it as the Super Blah, which I think is <laughs> pretty good. Um, 
Actually, I, I didn't watch the whole game. I was actually working and earning a living during part of it, but I did see uh, the halftime show. I thought it was great, too. And it's amazing now how good the, the mixture between when people are playing partially to tracks and partially live. It's amazing how seamless it has become. I mean, I, I really thought it was great. Yeah, it was really good. Um, Rob, you've done a couple of super shows with Stevie, right? Didn't you? I know Stevie's played it. Um, he has. I did some pre-production for it. I actually did um, a lot of the pre-production when Michael Jackson did the halftime show, too. Uh, oh, that's I right. The Rose Bowl actually, one. Right. That was my first one, I think, actually. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting venue to have to design you know, music and effects for <laughs> because I, I would disagree with you. I don't think it was more spectacular being there. I think it was more spectacular on a great high-def TV at home. Really? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's uh, – I, I think there, even if you're watching it on big screens, you just – you can't – you get the spectacle of everything that's going on around the show, but the details of the show I, I think would pretty much get lost. Oh, well, but uh, that's true. It depends on where you were sitting because if you're like behind him, <laughs> all you saw was this good white wash coming down in front of you. But Exactly. No, I, I, I would actually think on a great sound system in a great home theater, it's probably – at least the music part of it is a better experience. The game is probably more fun in person. Wasn't let's see, didn't Stevie was it the Olympics or was it he did one big venue show because I, I, I know this only because um, talking with Larry who was running his in-air monitors for one of those shows, but I forgot well, which one. Did, he definitely did the Super Bowl. Uh, Maybe that was it. The, the setup was tricky because there was a tunnel that came to the under the center of the field, and so they had to sort of assemble the whole stage above it. And then he would pop up through it, and it was very elaborate. Wow. Uh, now, also, the uh, the speed at which they set that up. I mean, the, which they set up the whole stage and do all the line checks. I mean, I remember when I was touring, just doing a regular line check, you know, we were blazing through, you know, 100 inputs or something like that. I can only imagine what those guys have to do, and so fast. It's got to be that done before is, it goes up, right? Well, it is, but it's it's superhuman how fast they get that thing set up. It really is. I mean, I would still think you would want to do some type of check after you make a connection. I mean, of course, that, if you have a lot of a, people working on it, that's you true. Probably do it. That's well, that could be true too. You yeah. maybe your monitor guy is sitting there just looking at LEDs popping, and as soon as he sees them pop, he knows they're on. You know, so it was, and the whole it's, thing is probably there's probably like one twelve thousand pin Elko connector. You know, that's true. Just, just the whole thing goes together <laughs> with one giant kachunk. Uh, I'd always been very suspicious as to whether they were actually playing at all or whether they were just miming along no, the tape. That's why I said I was impressed with the track stuff because I could tell what was live and what wasn't. And it was really an awesome mix. If you go back and look at Bruno Mars's performance when he was on Saturday Night Live, they did that uh, that same song with the same band, uh, you, know, you Make Me Feel Like I'm Locked Out of Heaven, that song. Yep. Same exact energy, same everything, and you can hear the subtle differences in the performance, but there's definitely a lot of it that's live. Yeah. Uh, the background vocals de- the background vocals definitely weren't because uh, they didn't have enough mics on stage to yeah. <laughs> sing all the parts. No, I, I noticed that. But you know what? But it's a, it was a very seamless blend, I thought. I thought it was pretty well done. Yeah, and, and with the energy and seeing him sing, and I just, like I said, I was just really blown away. I thought it was really awesome in the lights. So, Nam, guys, I don't know about you, but I thought it was a pretty awesome show. I, I thought this show was a Nam that the industry needed. Um, I thought there was definitely winners 
and definitely losers. And it just had a really great positive vibe that you just really haven't haven't felt, haven't seen in a long time. Um, before we go into the specifics, um, Bobby, generally, give me your impression on Nam as a whole. What do you think of it? This one? Yes. Uh, well, the energy was fantastic right from the beginning, and it was crowded right from the doors opening on Thursday, which was pretty amazing because that usually doesn't happen quite as quickly. Um, I think Anaheim actually has reached its limits in terms of traffic, in terms of um, parking, and in terms of uh, hotel space because it was tough for everybody you know, outside of the show. Uh, the logistics were very difficult. But I think overall what the show proved was the economy is back because everybody was uh, was happy about it and everyone was talking about making money, uh, buying a lot, and uh, you know all the nice things that we always like to hear about financially. Yeah, no, it's true. Nick, what about you? Uh, just on a general sense. I agree. It was, it was packed. I was shocked when we got there about – 11 o'clock on Thursday morning, and the line to just get in and register to pick up your badge was, you know, an hour or something like that. It was crazy. You got there at 11 on opening day? Yeah. You should know better than that. <laughs> Usually, I mean, I'm used to just sort of walking right in and picking up my badge and being on my way, but it was nuts. You know what? I, I got a story about that, okay? Because the story started, like, right when I went to go get my badge. I was with uh, my good friend Mike Stitz, who... Uh, who's been on the podcast and, and his wife is Andy, who's the, the voice of the On Your Now cast. Um, so we went to go get our badge and we had to go to the registration line just like everybody else. And it never ceases to amaze me that people can complain in the most you know lamest situations. Everybody's waiting in line and this guy who was about, oh, I would say maybe seven people in front of us starts pulling over security and starts saying things like, I'm an exhibitor. I need to get my badge. This is ridiculous. You know, I shouldn't have to wait in a line like this. I got to be at my booth. The booth's going to open. No one's going to be there. <laughs> and we're listening to him just grill this. <laughs> and I, I just could not believe it that this guy, he was the only guy who was giving this poor, you know, the, the poor worker there, you know, a lot of grief. And I was like, you know, I know where there's a shorter line. And Mike goes, where? And I go, Wednesday. <laughs> when all the other exhibitors yeah. were picking up their, their badges. You know, I actually got two badges. You know, we were talking prior to the, the NAM show that that wouldn't happen any, any longer. I got two. And I went to the registration and I said, I'm registered by my two publishers, and I don't know which one is better because one was a green one the other was yellow. Right. And the guy said, well, you can have both of them if you want. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll take them. Now, you still have to show an ID so it doesn't – you couldn't give the badge to anyone. But right. what was good was when I was in the one booth, I would make sure I'd have that exhibitor's very badge Very good. In, and when I went to the other one, I'd put the other one in. So politically, it worked out very well. Uh, yeah, that's, that's actually – I'll tell you, there was a door where they weren't checking IDs. I found yeah. one. It was in Holly at the very back. And that actually had the, that actually had the shortest – 
line to pick up yes. your bag, too. We ended up walking all the way around and going to Holly, and went, it went from an hour plus to you know yeah. five minutes to pick up exactly, the bag. Because nobody, nobody was there, so it was, it was really good. I was just amazed. But the funny thing about that story, because the whole time we were in line, uh, me and Mark were kind of dropping bombs like that, because I just I can't, I can't stand when, when people are complaining. It's like, come on. You know, everybody's waiting in line. And the line didn't take that long. It took us like maybe 15 minutes to go through the line. Funny thing is, <laughs> uh, later on that day, a guy comes walking into the API booth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, ooh, I hope he doesn't remember me. Yeah, you are going to run into the people you see, yes. Yeah, that was pretty funny. You should, well, have, you should have had him wait in line to see something. <laughs> 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 Rob, thank you for not failing me. That was that was awesome. That was such a Rob. <laughs> hey, what did you think of uh, of Nam? Just in a general sense. First of all, Mike, I didn't realize you were at Nam other than the thirty five times I ran into you. <laughs> I wasn't sure you had made it. Uh, um, I had my well. I I thought Nam was you know the attitude was good. I agree. Anaheim is maxed out. It's a little like Austin to me, where I've been spending a lot of time. It's like. Everybody hears about it. Everybody wants to go. Once you get there, you realize too many people got the memo, and it's it's crazy. I mean, the parking this year, even at like six a.m., they're redirecting people all over the place. It was it was actually strange to me. I didn't know if there was some other big happening going on, but the parking and the traffic were off the charts worse <clears throat> than I've ever experienced before down there. So I don't know what was going on. But if that's the new normal, it's going to be a real problem. Well, we were reading in the newspaper in the Orange County Register, as a matter of fact, and I found this hard to believe. And the person who told me this fact actually looked it up and showed it to me. But there were over 90,000 exhibitors. What? Exhibitors. (laughs) Exhibit badges, you mean? Yeah, but ninety thousand. That's and then that's not even the, the the buyers or the guests or anything like that. Ninety thousand. See what I heard. There were ninety five thousand pre registers, yeah. which encompassed everything. I I don't know which one is correct. But I that, don't either. That's what I heard. And well, it was some god awful number too of the people who attended um, every like all every day. You know, like hundreds of thousands, not just yeah, but hundreds. the. But the show was basically the same size it's been at its biggest before. It's not like all of a sudden the NAMM show was twice the size or something. It was, I mean, it filled the exact same halls in the exact same way. I mean, maybe the, it was musical chairs, different people were in different positions, but it's not like the NAMM show was hugely bigger than it had been in previous years. Oh, it was, there weren't more exhibits. No, there were more exhibits because some of the bigger guys have scaled down, but there was a lot of smaller and medium mm. guys. So there actually – there were more exhibitors. But anyhow, all that's to say is it was, it was really, 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 really crowded. And I, I you mean know, I, I, I enjoyed – there was energy about new stuff and Mike actually pointed me towards some new things to check out that um, – I'm sure we'll be talking about and yes, uh, Saturday was the day when Stevie Wonder showed up there and that turned out into a zooish day, which it always is. <laughs> but um, I thought Friday uh, was quite Saturday-ish enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Friday was actually, a lot of the exhibitors were saying that Friday was the peak day and then Saturday started slow, but then Saturday ended up building to a pretty good crescendo too. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm always on a different planet when... Stevie is there because it's a it's a very bizarre way to see the show because he has you know he's like a Swiffer and thousands of things just stick to him and he walks around the show and uh, I, I it's could, a very bizarre experience. I could never understand why because I was <laughs> I was I was seeing you Rob 
you know, go around and, and uh, gotten a couple positions to, you know, I wanted to take a few pictures of Rob and stuff, showing, and I posted on Twitter and things like that. But I don't understand the guys that just follow. I mean, literally, it's like he has this giant living tail, you know, as he's going from one booth to the other. It, it just, it's kind of remarkable. Like, you spend I all actually that time. did it. I did it the smartest I've ever done it this year because what I did is <clears throat> when he'd get to a booth, I would leave him at the booth with his guys and I'd run to the next booth we wanted to go to and have it all set up for him. So because each booth was ready for him, it was like boom, 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 boom. And I think he got to check out more stuff than he ever had in a single run like that. And I definitely got to see more stuff than I had seen in a single run. So it actually ended up being pretty smooth because while everybody's diverted, he's like a shiny object that you put in front of them. While they're distracted, you can actually get a lot of other stuff done. and It it worked out well. But some of the things you pointed me to that I'm sure we're going to get to we're definitely noteworthy at the show for him and just in general. Yeah. Um, Does he have an agenda when he goes there? Is there certain things that he's looking for? Yeah, and actually that agenda has been similar for the last few years. It's always ways to create music on the go. So like portable studio gear of any kind, whether it's computer stuff or iPad stuff or uh, small instruments he can carry. Um, portability, <laughs> because he does travel a lot. That's always huge. And the other thing that he's always on the lookout for are handheld digital recorders of the highest quality. He'd rather they be DSD instead of PCM if possible. Mm But portable recorders for him are like digital cameras are for the rest of us. And it's how he takes snapshots of his family and stuff is he he does audio recording. So he's always looking for the most amazing sort of handheld thing. And we spent a bunch of time in the Zoom booth playing with their latest six track. The Uh, H6N? Yep. 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 Uh, and and that was interesting. And I mean, it he has enough of these things that you could start a museum of portable recording. But he's always on the lookout for whatever's the next cool new one. And we had heard that someone had a new DSD two track at the show. But if that's true, we never found it. I, you know, I, I I didn't see any of that. As a matter of mm-hmm. fact, DSD is kind of going. You just don't hear about that anymore. Oh, I. I, I mean, you're right. There was one. I ran across it somewhere, and I just can't think of what it was right now. Well, if those brain cells happen to fire and you can think of it or even a clue of where we might look, that's that's what we're always after. Tascam has a, a new direct stream digital recorder, but it's a, you know, it's a rack mount. You yeah. Know. Yeah. I remember, well, you know, the last one I really was interested in was the as far as portable one, it was the Korg one that they had out mm-hmm. years That's years right. Ago. Hey, yeah, and he used the Korg. He used the Korg quite a bit. That was a pretty cool little box. Can he hear the difference between DSD and and you know high resolution PCM? Oh yeah, yeah. He yeah, it's crazy. He can hear the difference between different brands of AES EBU cable on a short run, hooking two of these devices together. It's crazy. Wow, what he hears. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, let's segue into into speaking of hearing. Let's segue straight into the gear. That's what we want to talk about, and that's uh, you know that's where the meat is. And uh, let's start talking about some of the things that were some of our favorites. And I'm going to open it up. And the first thing I'm going to open up is mainly because a they're our sponsor, but I want to talk about a couple things from uh, API. Um, Two really cool things. They they brought out a new lunchbox, and it was the first time I had actually seen it. It's an eight space lunchbox as opposed to a six space. It's the exact same size as the eight, eight space. I mean, as the six space. So it's the classic lunchbox size that hasn't changed. But now you can put 
eight modules in there. The cool thing is it's all DB25 on the back, so you don't have to worry about the big XLRs anymore. And they have – it's now switchable for your routing. So all you need to do is to route one module into the next module. You just flip a switch on the back and it will point it to the next one. So you can have two chains if you want of uh, four or you know four chains of two if you want a mic pre and a compressor or you want a mic pre, compressor, EQ, and then at the end you want to do something else. It's really cool. It's really hip. But – Actually, one of the favorite things of the show, and uh, just you know, just the guys let you know that API is our sponsor. But that's like saying you're sponsored by Ferrari because it's always good. Um, they came out. They have this this uh, this DI. Okay, um, it's the 505, and they actually, I think it came out at AES, and I didn't really check it out that much. But best DI ever. It has, first of all, it has the API sound, but the other thing that's really cool about it is it has this tone module that you can go thin to fat to fatter. And it basically gives you that, that bottom end. And I don't know if you guys ever used, um, like uh, on a ADD, they have the, uh, the line input, but if you ever run any line input through some of their analogs, some of the, the 2520, I mean, it's just, it just it's beefy, and the fact that you have that tone module and you can you can uh, control your tone. You know, it has a bright switch and it has the pad and it has a load um, from uh, you know 100k to 400k. And all, all these really cool things, but that, that my favorite was the tone. You know, the fact that you can dial it because sometimes you want the DI. You know, you don't want as much fat. You know, because it'll get in the way of your mix. You know, but sometimes you just want to beef something up specifically old analog synths. It's a great, great piece to run an old analog synth because it just gives it enough fur and bottom end and it just – it really brings new life. So that was one of my highlights of uh, of the show. I'm going to open up with that. Somebody else want to want to say something? Well, I can tell you one of the things that I saw that I just thought was amazing and it was amazing because of the price – now, let me just back up for a second. A few years ago, Behringer bought Midas, Midas of the Midas consoles that are very well regarded in sound reinforcement. Well, Midas had a 40-input, 25-bus console, digital console, with the built-in two-track recorder and plus, 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 plus for $5,000. Holy $5,000. And I grilled this guy and he says, look, it's all Midas, mic amps, all the analog circuitry is Midas. $5,000. And to me, I thought this is a game changer, in, in, at least in sound reinforcement. And, and it, Absolutely. You, you did have D, um, DAW control as well, so you could use it in the studio. But it was an amazing piece for 5000 bucks. Where did, they, where did they cut the corners? How could, you know... It what? didn't look like they, they cut any. As a matter of fact, the metalwork was magnificent on it. And they were saying that the, it was all custom metalwork, um, custom ends with, with really nice wood and everything. It was gorgeous. Do you know what model number <clears throat> board it was? Uh, yeah, M something, yeah. Were they, are they making that in China or is that... Oh, yeah. yeah They're yeah. making it in Behringer City. There's now a full yeah. city in China that just makes Behringer gear. But what Behringer did a few years ago is they started to buy up these brand names. They, brought, they bought uh, Clark Technique, they bought uh, Midas, and they bought another big sound reinforcement 
company that did speakers. I don't remember what it was. So the Behringer booth was very strategically cut in half where the one side was nothing but Behringer and the other side, there was, was no hint else. of Behringer. It yeah. was Midas and it was Clark and, and everything, but they were connected. And if you talk to the people, they said, oh, yeah, no, it's all, all made. Yeah, the M32, that's it, yeah. Holy smokes. And how much was that, five? Five, that, 49.99. Well, I, I'll tell you, boy, that's, that's impressive. I, I'll tell you where they, where they took some shortcuts, all right? And it's not really even shortcuts. It's the way it's designed. There's not a gazillion knobs at the classic. Oh, yeah. Consoles. No, it's your, your definite it's console. A, but I'll tell but you what. That's a great price, man. That let, is. Let me tell you. Out of all the digital consoles I've ever sat behind, this seemed like it was the easiest. And I had it down in two minutes. I was flying on it. It, it was really easy. Man. And, and I just wrote a book awesome. on a Persona you know, Studio Live. Which is very easy, but this one I think was at least as easy, if not more so. Did you guys, speaking of consoles, did you guys get to check out Slate's Raven? I've Raven? checked it out before. What did I, you yeah, think? so have I. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, there's a whole podcast or two about this. Oh, really? Yeah, yes. yeah we've talked. You know what? In all, in all seriousness, I'm not a big fan of the big Raven, but having said that, I'm kind of a fan of the smaller one. You DMTX. Know? Yeah, I think that the smaller one, I think, is makes way more sense. And since I've been doing a lot of stuff on on my my Surface and a lot of my iPads, I, I get it. I can see how it's it's going to go that way, and I can see where touch, um, you know, there's pros and cons of touch. So, you know, I, you know, you got to evolve. You got to evolve. Everybody has to evolve. I'm evolving. When it first came out, when the Raven came out, I was not a fan, and I don't think I'm still a fan of the big one. But that small one in the right situation. I mean, if I had that small one with a box, that to me is, is Nirvana. It's best of both worlds, and you can do some really killer stuff. Do they have i? Do they have any program right now with iPod? Oh, sorry, with the iPad, touchscreen iPad hooked up through Bluetooth or anything into Pro Tools? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah Rink has one. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's 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 just quite a few, um, and they're all good. They all they all work really well. Um, and you just have to pay for you know pay for it. Some of them have our pro versions, and some of them are are lighter versions. But, but um, even so, I think the most expensive is forty nine bucks or yeah. something. Yeah. And then you've got an iPad that you can do absolutely everything else on Earth with at the same time, right? Yeah. So um, yeah. So I mean, it's it's all good. Hey, if you check out this Midas console on online, it's pretty amazing. And I'll and I'll tell you what, it's probably one of the re- reasons why. Um, venues having a hard time because boy if they're going up against this you know there's no comp no, no competition and, and they had a few that were <clears throat> excuse me a few steps above that that were more expensive but it you know again the price was just amazing you, you, you look at for what you get to bang for the buck and if it's as they say with midas circuitry yeah, yeah. wow That's, i would like to find that. out i had a midas venice 320 you know, an all analog little console, and it was meant for sound reinforcement use. I used it for recording for years. I used it on all sorts of records and stuff, and it was absolutely fantastic. It didn't have a million sends and a tremendous amount of flexibility, but the EQ was completely usable. The mic preamps were completely fine, and it was just a wonderful, solid little thing. I'd be very curious to see what the digital version of Midas is and whether Behringer is just using the name or whether, you know, there is a lot of, you know, sort of, previous Midas technical know-how and stuff that has gone into oh, you know cool. the build of these things. All right, let's go. We're going to have to pick up the pace a little bit, so st- let's start firing them off. Rob, tell me some of your highlights of uh, gear over at uh, at the NAMM show. Well, I'd say I was uh, 
dazzled as usual by uh, some of the analog synths that were there and and uh, the Prophet Twelve, you know the sure. the uh, Dave Smith synth that he now has a, a module of, which is great because it's awesome. Me, I have too many keyboards, but modules are always good. I thought that was great. I thought the Arturia uh, analog synths were amazing for just so cheap. Yeah. What is it? The mini brood and the micro brood? Yep, yep. Um, I think the micro is what they introduced at this show. I'm not 100% sure of that. But, I mean, they've got really usable analog synths <laughs> for like four and 500 bucks. Yeah, that was amazing. And if you saw those at a show 10 years ago, they'd be 1000 bucks, and you'd say, well, that's a deal. So I'm pretty amazed that a company, especially a company like that that does analog modeling so well, would actually switch gears and do true analog because it's not like – the the modeling is a pathway to doing real analog. It's a completely different kind of product. Right. Korg also, uh, if I can jump in on yeah, the analog absolutely. thing just for a sec, Korg is doing a re-release of their venerable MS-20 analog synth, yep. and it's real analog. They said that they're only going to have about 200 of them shipped to the United States, so it's going to be a really, really small run, and you have to actually assemble it yourself. Yeah, that was the kit that they were doing. Yep. That was that was the kit. That was pretty awesome. Hey, uh, Mickey, did you see anything that you uh, that you liked? I, I spent most of my, my, my focus – I recently got an endorsement with this uh, – amazing midi guitar called u-rock guitar it's the yrg uh, 1000 and i was in the booth i i did a song there and i hung out a lot at the booth and I, i'm amazed by this guitar if you guys haven't heard of it it's uh, it's amazing it's just an awesome synth but um a guitar you know trigger for guitar players but i nam nam for me actually um I I think I had an, a, an alternate world experience because I felt like it was a little more tame this this year. I don't know why. I got there Saturday though, so maybe I missed all the Thursday <laughs> Friday, you know, energy. But maybe you're just a tame guy, man. Uh, maybe I just I was too tame. tame you're, way. you're like you're <laughs> you just one easy level, brother. You know, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but did you see any piece of gear that uh, that you wanted to? I saw a lot of stuff that I really. Light, um, but it, I, I did. I, I was curious about the future of. I mean, for me, where I'm focusing on guitars, I saw a lot of very expensive guitars, um, American-made guitars, and I played a lot of non-American-made guitars. And the difference f- from a five to six hundred dollar guitar compared to uh, a three thousand Ernie Ball compared to yeah. like a DBZ, yeah, I didn't. I, I just didn't see. Well, the- CDC manufacturing, so you know yeah. they're all pretty much the same. Did you see the Fishman pickups? I heard about the Fishman pickups. I didn't. I, I think I no. Okay, no. The, for those of you who don't know about this, Fishman has a, a guitar pickup called the Fluence, and w- most guitar pickups are made the way they've been for well, nearly a hundred years now. And what it is is a, a coil of wire around uh, around a bobbin with some magnets pushed in between. And this actually had each coil, multiple coils, on their own individual circuit board that were all put together. And as a result, what you're able to do is to go in and electronically um, have different sounds because you could take the, the the different small coils 
and put them together in different ways. Oh, that's awesome. That's smart. Yeah. That's some smart engineering. And I thought to myself, this is the first leap in this technology that I've seen in a long time that that really makes some sense. Who makes those? Those are Fishman. Fishman. Now, Fishman, you know, of course, they usually make acoustic (laughs) pickups and things like that, and that's where they got their name. But this was uh, for electric guitar, and they had uh, form factors for strats and single coil and for um, humbuckers as well. Pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I'm going to rattle um, Nick, let me give you an opportunity. Tell me what you, uh, what you saw. Tell me well, what you... uh, I think the big thing that made me the most sad at NAMM was that the mullet count was down pretty <laughs> considerably. Um, I, I did see a few good ones. I mean, the guys that have got like the completely shaved sides and then the mullet like all the way oh, down yeah. to their back. Yeah. Um, but it was replaced quite well by the heavy metal guys wearing ironic little cowboy hats. So that was, that was, that was okay. I saw a lot um, of King Diamond and Merciful Fate. T-shirt wearers this time around yeah. for some reason. Yeah. Well, they um, didn't he do a concert or something? He, or maybe. Is, also, Vinnie Vincent Invasion T-shirt. Yeah. A lot of very random. Wow. You know, it's good to know what's currently. Here. I went to yeah. I went to a great show. I went to a show over at the Grove, which is about um, it's a venue in Anaheim. Probably what three thousand, maybe twenty five hundred mm-hmm. yeah, people. Yeah, you know, black labels. Oh, um, it was. Uh, I forgot who was. Yes. Zach Wild? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that uh, was a good show. And uh, but uh, we know the guys from Kill Devil Hill, um, uh, Rex from Pantera and uh, Dewey, who who's the lead singer. And Dewey is uh, we're going to bring him on because he has a great voice. And and I'd all, I've always wanted to do something like a show on on vocals and stuff like that. And he'd be a great guy to come in because he has that that just that husky male, just heavy metal voice. He's on stage. That guy is a rocker, man. He's just scary and big and the whole band is loud. And then you, you, you talk to him and nicest guys. I mean, absolutely the most nicest guys ever. Hey, how you doing? Oh, hey. hey oh, yeah. It's just really cool and it was really great. On the last days, uh, me and my friend Mike, we, we went around with Dewey and uh, we're showing him microphones and things like that because Mike works with, with Dewey a lot and um, just the nicest guy in the world. So it was really good but it, but um, it was great to go to NAMM and to go to one of those shows because they're, you know, a ton of people show up. It's all crowded, you know, and they had free liquor at this one. So, you know, there was just, you know, people just, you know, <laughs> drinking way too much. Good but, venue, um, the Grove. Oh, yeah, it was, it was a great venue. It was a really good venue. Rob. Yeah, you know, uh, at the last show, we were talking about how, uh, well, I was saying that NAM parties are basically just never what the people in line think they're going to be when they get inside and that for the most part I'm not a big fan but and then Scott reminded me of that show that we went to a few years ago which was a tribute uh, to Stevie's bass player and this year we actually went to another show that Zoom put on and Nate Watts who's Stevie's bass player who was on it a few years ago was the music director for this show and it was uh, to honor Sly Stone and so Nate put together an all-star band and, you know, Stevie singers and Michael Jackson singers and band and, you know, all the top players were there and a bunch of guest players. But the high point was that Sly Stone actually showed up. <laughs> and <clears throat> I'd never seen him in person before. Um, and there's not much left to see, honestly. But um, it's just he walked right by me and you just realized this guy, like if it wasn't for this guy, there's no... Stevie, or he would have been very different. There's no Prince. You know, you look at the impact that he's had. Right. And it's a shame what 
life and drugs have done to him. But uh, just having walked by, I mean, I I don't get chills easily, but I definitely got chills just thinking that's Sly Stone. I mean, it was unbelievable. Did he have the mohawk? He had a hat on. Oh, okay. No mohawk (laughs) this year. Yeah, no mohawk. (laughs) Yeah, no. At one point, uh, he got up because he was being honored. And at one point, he gave up to give a little speech. And I could not tell you one word he said other than the F word and the S word, (laughs) which were crystal clear, actually. That was the funny part because it was like muttering that you couldn't tell what he was saying and then F-bombs and S-bombs. But (laughs) at the end, and everybody was sort of thinking, well, this is a moment in history. This is amazing. How do we get it to stop? (laughs) (laughs) But at the end, they handed him a guitar, which I didn't even know he played guitar, but they handed him a guitar and he played the beginning riff from Thank You For Letting Me Be Myself. And you could tell... I mean, it was perfect. I mean, wasn't that loud or anything, but you could just tell he still had that groove. And then the band kicked in and took over and he walked off. But just watching Sly Stone pick up an instrument and play it, I mean, that's something I never thought I was going to get to experience. That's pretty awesome. That's uh, really awesome. That was pretty cool. Um, Nick, did you- yeah, for Yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a couple of things. You know, on our last episode, I was uh, I was harshing on Avid with Sibelius and saying, you know, okay, I'll be really curious to see what's going on um, with the Sibelius killer that's going to be coming from Steinberg. So I went over to the Avid booth already with my chip on my shoulder, and Sibelius 7.5 looks absolutely awesome. So, wow. you know, I don't know what it is that they did, but, you know, it's clear that they're still doing development on that notation I, software, and it looks fantastic, I have to say. I can tell you exactly what they did. Because I actually had dinner with the Avid and Sibelius teams uh-huh. when the show started. So basically, a lot of the engineers went <laughs> left en masse uh, at, you know, at the same time. But uh, Avid basically found a whole new team. And these guys are so dedicated and so into it. And uh, I'm not sure exactly where their center of operation was. I, I couldn't get that sense. A lot of these guys had English accents, but I think... Uh, they have moved over to the States. I think it's being done here, like in Northern California, but they are so dedicated to the product. Cause I'm like you, I mean, I, I live and die with Sibelius quite a bit and I'm sure great things will come from Steinberg with those sure. guys, but, but they're not going to have anything. Not a dead issue. No, these it, guys were so, so excited and motivated to yeah. be a part of it. I all acknowledged that there had been some ugliness as the old team was leaving and nobody knew what Avid was really going to do. But I would have to say it's one of the more like positive stories I've heard about Avid in a while was actually talking to these guys. Now, was this just, this just for Sibelius or Avid in general, Pro Tools and everything else? Well, this, at this dinner, there happened to be a few of the new Sibelius guys. So that's who I ended up talking with. It was a long table and I happened to be seated with them. So that's what we were talking about. Um, uh, there were some key people who used to be at Avid who are now elsewhere uh, at Line 6 and, and some other companies like former real key players. I'm not totally sure what's going on with, with the rest of Avid. Uh, there's still definitely excitement with the people I've seen who are still there. I know people who have left, but I know people who are very dedicated to still being there. The people who I was sitting with, the Sibelius people, were definitely motivated and definitely were putting out the positive energy, which you know kind of surprised me a little because I was expecting a little more doom and gloom, but it was actually pretty cool. 
I'm totally sold. And uh, Sibelius 7.5 is going to be coming out at the end of February, and they will absolutely have my upgrade money for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great. Well, hey, listen, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to rattle off a bunch of products that uh, that I thought were kind of um, just need a little extra special attention from us. You guys can give me your opinions. And then we're going to talk about a little bit about um, some of the winners at the show and some of the losers at the show, because I definitely have some strong opinions about that. And uh, it may be a company that starts with A, but uh, we'll see. Um, anyhow, so uh, we'll catch you on the other side. You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. Have a question for the panel? Would you like to be a guest on the Audio Nowcast and live in the L.A. area? Email us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back to the Audio Nowcast. And uh, before the break, we were talking about the NAM show and how uh, avid found some more magic little gnomes for uh, the whole Sibelius thing. So uh, it's going to be great. Um, really quick, there's a few things I want to I want to point out, um, a couple different types of gear, and we'll just blaze through this. Um, first of all, um, did everybody or anybody see the electronic cajon that was there? I did see yeah. that. <laughs> I didn't right. stop to really – You know what? just didn't I, really – That was like – I think, Rob, I think you were the one who said – you made a great joke about the need for an electronic cajon is like a need for, and I forgot what you said. I don't know, but the one that just came to mind now would be like electronic spoons. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was kind of funny because it was a it was a cajon, which is uh, which is those drums that you sit on, and it had separate pads, and then right on the side it had this this keypad where and where you had all the different. Um, all the different cajon sounds yeah all the cajon sounds or drum sounds but i'm like look they already make that it's called Called you know it's called the octopad it's called it's called electronic drums yeah and yeah i thought that makes you know what else makes a really good cajon sound what a freaking cajon (laughs) all right yeah you guys are such killjoys no electronic cajons in either of your christmas (laughs) that's right i'll tell you one thing that i i really really liked was um Isotope with the brake tweaker that they had. That was an amazing piece of software. It basically does brakes. It's it's like a you know, it's really it's the new version of a beatbox. It's the new version of what an electronic drum machine is. It's it's the new this is the kind of stuff that Roland or some of those classics should be developing. Um but uh, Break Tweaker was just it was just amazing. I mean, uh, the potential that you can get if you if you just I would I would highly recommend you go online and and just watch the demo. It's really cool, and when you see it in real life, it's it's phenomenal. A um, couple other things, <laughs> I went and saw. Um, I got a demo of Bitwig Studio, and that looks awesome. Those guys are going to give Ableton a run for their money. I mean, it's just they, you know, it's some developers that were on the early team over at Ableton, and um, they basically broke out, did their own stuff. And it has a little bit of that flavor. Um, you can go much deeper. Um, the live performance parameters that you can change and just the way it's organized, um, it's going to be a serious, serious contender. My only negative thing about that is is it's not quite as um, – 
as obvious. Some of the functions aren't quite as obvious as as they are in live. Um, but having said that, it's a single screen and you can do a bunch of cool things with it. Did you think that they were that way because there was a deeper feature set and so therefore, you know, of necessity it was more complex or do you think that they could have rethought the UX to make it a little... I think they probably could have rethought it a bit, but... You know, that's not really fair for me to judge right now not having to try it. I mean, I'm, I'm going to buy the, the software and I'll, I'll let you know after it. It's because you never know. Those kind of things, you don't know what kind of motivates that because it may be through necessity that it has to be that way. And once you get used to that universe, then it makes complete sense. It's like, okay, I know why they have this. So I can go here and here and I can go there. But the the editing that you can do, the, you, know, you can go clip-based editing and then you can also do phrase-based editing where if you have it looped for like eight times and you only change this one, it doesn't change them all. It just changes this one. I mean it's just – there's really cool features that are really well thought out. The P12 from Dave Smith is awesome. That's the that's the uh, the module, the Profit 12 module, um, and that was I played that. That's 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 like my next keyboard. I mean, it's really really good. Um, really, uh, just I I can't tell you how cool it is to have that big sound in such a little module, and it's not very big at all. It's it's really tiny. Um, one of my favorite things that I saw was the um, the Cajon acoustic kit that LP had. Where it had – you had a, a cajon that you sat on. It had a pedal, the bass drum pedal with a cable to the uh, to the cajon itself and uh, you can use that to actually hit the, a bass drum sound on the cajon. And then it had um, this little cajon snare that was basically a, an octagon-shaped 10-inch uh, snare that you could play with with brush and get – it has almost like a high piccolo sound with a, with a, with acoustic hi-hat. Really cool. I mean, I, I played that for a little bit. The groove, it's just this, it's a great compliment if you had an acoustic band with like acoustic bass and an acoustic guitar and a couple vocals. And you don't want your drum to overpower it and you kind of want to wrap it all around, but you still want a groove. It's a perfect sound. It, and it's also, um, I don't know if you guys saw those uh, protesters mm. <laughs> out, out in the front. They were protesting. That's right. Because over that. Over that, over yes. the pedal. Because. Apparently, some guy showed um, a drawing to Guitar Center and – An exec at the Guitar Center and the Guitar Center went back to the LP guys and said, you guys should make this. Yeah. That, that's a, what they're claiming. But uh, but how do you – you know yeah. what? It's not like cabled bass drums you know, pedals weren't around. I mean you've, I've seen that you know, in several of the bigger kits, you see that. So it's like I don't know. I I just I was wondering. You we know, could talk a lot about this subject. Oh, <laughs> we'll have to talk about that. Um, but that was kind of cool. And uh, and then I also got a chance to play the um, that uh, that keyboard that has no keys. It's just all those oh, raised, yeah. the Roly. Is that was it? The Roly. Is that what it's called? Yeah. The, that keyboard, which is. Let me tell you, that was weird. I'm not saying touch keyboard. Yeah, it was expensive. It's eight thousand dollars for the for the big one, and it's just a controller. And you can and it's pressure sensitive, um, more than just up and down. It's also a little bit of X Y, kind of what um, you know some of the other controllers are. But it's eight grand, and it's it's kind of funky. Rob, you had a chance to play that, didn't you? Yeah, it's actually the big one is eight grand. The smaller ones are, I think. Two and three grand, or three and four grand. They, they are. They do have smaller, cheaper ones that are actually usable. It's not just a controller. It actually has a 
pretty sophisticated sound engine that can take advantage of what you play. Because it basically feels like a rubber keyboard, but you can play a chord and then vibrate your fingers and it can individually bend each note. Wow. I didn't know it had a sound engine. So is that what we were listening to? I thought we were listening to just the contact the contact player or was that no you were you were listening it depends which station but it had a sound engine and it's very interesting oh no at the show i think it was the contact player but what they do is each note is on its own midi channel so it's 16 note polyphony and that's how they do individual pitch bend so you could like grab a triad chord and bring the low note up and the high note down just by sliding your fingers on the rubber right and you can like play a chord and then slide your hand down to sort of pitch bend the chord it takes a long time to get used to. Yeah. Stevie actually played it for a while and started to get to the point where there was something funky coming out, like when he played bass lines <laughs> yeah. and stuff. But it's basically, you can think of it as, it's basically a continuous ribbon controller that has bumps where the keys go. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. And yeah. it has some real intelligence about figuring out how to divide the polyphony. Because if you think about it, knowing which voices are which as you move, move your hands around the keyboard is a pretty tricky thing. Yeah, that's true. And it's it's cool. I mean, it's expensive, but you know they're a small startup, and I just say hats off to anybody willing to try something different. Uh, is it commercially viable? It's way too soon to tell. the The version with the built-in sound engine isn't even going to be ready for a few months, supposedly. Wow. Well, I'll tell you one thing that I definitely want to uh, point out, and that's I tried a bunch of uh, sound modules. I mean, not sound modules. Um, Audio interfaces. I went and looked at a bunch of them. And by far, the winner is the Apollo. Apollo Twin was amazing. And I'll tell you Fantastic what, for the money. Yep. For the money. And what makes it so good, okay, Apollo sounds great. They've, they've, they've always you know, sounded good. They've had great um, their plugins. But they do this um, mic pre-emulation that is it's, – it, it's – it emulates on the input, so it it not only does it you know take the characteristics of of whatever, but it actually has this active input emulation that can change all kinds of variables, including um, the homage of of what you're feeding it. I mean, it really is pretty cool in how they do that. But so, you know what the downside of Apollo is. You're just gonna kill my it, best. It's Thunderbolt <laughs> only. Yeah. So, oh, it's Thunderbolt only. So if you have a computer with the Thunderbolt interface, you're you're in good shape. But if not, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. the Apollo Twin is Thunderbolt only. Thunderbolt because Bolt the only, yes. uh, the regular Apollo is you know you can do fire yeah, it's fire eight hundred. Yeah. 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 But yeah, but I mean, I think it's all going there anyhow. There's not a Mac yeah. that's not going to be sold now without a without a Thunderbolt. And and Thunderbolt is a pretty freaking cool interface i mean it's fast and uh i don't know how reliable it is because it hasn't been around long enough but it it definitely is speedy but the twin that input that input um modeling that they do is just it's phenomenal i mean it really is it's going to be a game changer because what that means is you know they have i forgot what mic pre they they were emulating but you start emulating a lot of those different mic pre's and stuff like that um even if you just get close i mean you're, you're you know, there's a lot of analog goodness that happens on the input side, but even if you get close, that's that's pretty cool. That's really cool. Um, go ahead, Rob. I, I was also going to say there was also a lot of buzz at the show about the antelope audio uh, interface, 
which um, I'm not a hundred percent sure of the specs, but I think it's 32 in and out right. over USB. Over USB over USB three. Uh, I think it's USB two actually. I'm yeah. not sure how they do it, but that's uh, the that's the Orion thirty two. That was okay. The, I mean, that I, that's the I think that's the interface that you you're talking about. USB um, 2.0 is enough continuous streaming bandwidth to be able to cover 64 streams of audio simultaneously. Yeah, mm. it says both USB and MADI uh, connectivity. Yeah, but but USB yeah. two or three? Right, no, I, they, I asked them. I think they said it was two. You know, I don't know. I haven't done the math to see exactly what bandwidth is required, but there were a lot of people I know who do high-end mobile rigs who were really uh, buzzing about that as well. I mean, I'm using the Apollo in Austin for that project I'm doing there, um, and I have nothing bad to say about it. It's great, but uh, I had more than one person tell me I had to check out the Antelope stuff, and it was very cool. And, you know, there is nothing on here that says USB 3.0. It just says, you know, Offers a special kind of USB connectivity. Uh, they build their own high-speed USB chips, but absolutely nothing about whether or not. Well, uh, then again, you have the Joco uh, digital recorder that everybody's using, and and that's I know it's twenty-four <clears throat> channels over USB two, which I thought was I I wouldn't have done it myself, you know, to use that on live gig, especially, which is where what it's aimed at, but it seems to work fine. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm looking right now at uh, on Sweetwater and uh, looking at their specs, and I definitely don't see anything that just says uh, USB 3.0. Usually, hmm. that's one of the big things that you see when it is 3.0. It says 3.0, but um, but yeah, the uh, the the Apollo man, those guys, Universal Audio, they are on great. a roll. I mean, they are just they are just putting out some great stuff and their plugins are, are good and they're just and, exceedingly uh, cool people yeah they're really and they nice make really really great stuff both yeah, in the analog sound, and the digital domain. sounds so good that's <clears> the <throat> thing man it sounds good like i try you know i test a lot of the um the api plugins um so i get you know i have all the wave stuff and actually have all the um the apollo stuff and and the apollo stuff is just it's it's just it's better, you know, not to knock on waves because the waves was the first. The UAD stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the UAD, exactly, yeah. for the Apollo, um, well, actually for any of their of uh, their boxes, it's um, it's phenomenal. They, they do really good. So I was a big fan. So it was good to see that. And it's going to, you know, bang for your buck, like you were saying. It was it was fantastic. So those are just some of the highlights of, uh, of the NAM show. Um, before we move on, anybody have any other? Yeah, uh, the Manly Core. Uh, channel strip was really cool. Um, what made it cool to me was okay. It, it had um, a nice tube preamp to it, and then it has an EQ, a three band EQ. But it also had a compressor. Um, I think it was a very an LOP compressor and a limiter, a separate limiter built in, which I thought was very cool. It was about twenty two hundred bucks. But what made it special for the geeks? That are listening was it it's the first um audio piece of audio gear that had a switching power supply specifically made for audio huh really and the and as a was and also that gave you 300 volts to power the <coughs> tubes the b plus on the tubes which you know most of the time they don't go more than 32 volts 36 volts so in fact this was pretty interesting and what they did is it was specially made for them and it was made 
where it would have z- as close to zero hum and zero interference as you can get. And it's better than any of their analog, their big analog supplies. And, it, you know, it was just something that was exceedingly exceptional, I thought. And because of that, um, you know, there's no problem putting it in a rack and having any, any kind of interference. So it's pretty amazing. That's pretty awesome. I think that's Rob. We're, what was that? We're getting we're getting some uh, some feedback through your your line, but it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's, um, it's Skype noise. Yeah, it's Skype noise. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah, Colin. By the way, there's an edit. <laughs> you can thank Mickey for that. Thanks one. Thanks a lot, Mickey. <laughs> well, hey, listen. There's a lot of cool stuff. If you guys go online, you can definitely see all the different winners and losers. Um, but there's a few things I got to talk about. I want to talk about the first one right now, um, and that is. The $20,000 analog keyboard. Yeah. The Schmidt. Did you guys all get to play the Schmidt? No. It sounded I, very nice. I, I tell you, $20,000 for an analog keyboard, it just blew me away that it was that expensive. It sounded nice. It looked okay. But come on, $20,000? I mean, I, I told Rob about that, and he actually um, – took Stevie to see the, the Schmidt. And if you go online, by the way, they uh, I think if you go to either Create Digital Music or Synth, um, Synthopia, one of those two, there's a really great demo where they did a direct out while they were recording it. And so you hear what it sounds like. I mean, it's a it's beefy analog. I mean, you get those you get those horn parts that do that old OBX horn, that soft, spongy horn sound. I mean, and then the the clavinets and all those kind of you know all your classical analog sounds um they were they sounded big and they sounded fat i just don't know if they were twenty thousand dollars and i don't know if you maybe can't do it through software and a little bit of stacking or get pretty dang close through just software i mean rob you were you had a really good take on the schmidt after you were uh, listening to it and playing it yeah, I mean the most the most amazing thing about it to me is the way it looks. It is a it's a stunning looking synth. I mean, if you're putting together a synth room and you had this thing sitting there, it's a major piece of jewelry to put into a synth studio. I thought it sounded good. I think lots of things sound good enough to use as synths. I I my initial take on it is I'm not sure how it would sit in a track as opposed to some of the things that it's a later generation of. Right. Um I don't know. I think the price point at that point it's an ego purchase for people because no one actually needs it. Right. Uh, so I think if you look at it as that's what it's designed to be, it's pretty compelling. I mean, it's there's definitely nothing else that looks like it, and if you have it, people definitely know you spent some serious money on a keyboard because <laughs> it's. I mean, <laughs> if you haven't seen a picture, you should just check it out. Do you know what the website is, Mike? To <laughs> I don't know Schmidt.com. Well, it's not, I don't know. It's, I'm not, by, but it's, it's, no. it's under another company name, though. But, but if you, just look for twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, keyboard. I guarantee you if you Google that, it's going to yeah. come up. Uh, I, it's I don't. definitely very. It's very impressive, and the reason I brought Stevie to check it out is it does seem to have a knob for everything. So if you are the kind of synth programmer like I used to base my whole life on being, uh, who needs to grab knobs and wants to be able to just very fluidly in real time, you know, come up with your own sounds. It's the ultimate toy box for that. I mean, it has a knob for everything. It has a zillion knobs on it. And it looks like it would be a lot of fun to play with. In practical production today, at least on the kind of stuff I work on, I mean, 
I don't think it's practical at all, other than getting people to go, ooh and ah, we got to hire this guy because he obviously is successful or he wouldn't have such a big fancy synth. (laughs) I'll tell you, if anyone um, has got, if I had $20,000, I would spend 17 of it on an API box and then (laughs) 20,000 on a Dave Smith Profit 8 and I'd be good. And if any of you listeners out there are looking to spend $20,000 on a synthesizer, come over to my house, give me the 20,000, you can have my Oberheim Matrix 12 and you can have all of the big fat beefy sounds and then I'll go buy a box in a, in a Dave Smith uh, you know I just googled I, I just I just put into google um, dollar sign 20k keyboard and the synthtopia <laughs> review was the first thing that popped up so um, there you go you can see it but yeah it's a it's a it's a big beefy expensive I hope the guy does good you know uh, keyboard but man I remember I was sitting there with Mike and we were uh, we were demoing it and I was like Man, this is really cool. And it was the kind of thing where you like get really excited about something. You're like, oh my goodness. And you're already figuring out in your brain about how much you think it's going to cost. And you're trying to figure out, okay, if I sell this piece of gear and I get this money, I'll be able to buy this. And you're, you know, and I'm already, okay, it'll look right there good in my studio and the whole thing. And then I go, how much does it cost? And the guy goes, $20,000. And you're like, we're done, we're done here. I mean, think oh, about it. If you really wanted a knob for every synth function and you had $20,000, think about what a wicked modular synth you could buy from all of those modular oh, yeah. manufacturers oh, yeah. and just put together. You could have the Keith Emerson rig of the that's, gods. That's true. Rob? I, I think, I mean, I figured out at eight grand, they would actually sell a ton of these things. It definitely is a step above any other analog keyboard that's yeah, out there. Yeah, I, I agree. I totally agree. I, but, didn't, I didn't say eight grand. Out of I was like 4500 you know. But eight grand, I could see it. Because I look at the Dave Smith, you know, and and this was, I wouldn't say it was twice as impressive as the Prophet 12, you know, but I, it was a step above only because of the amount of knobs and the yeah. size and everything. Physically, it's way more than twice as impressive. I mean, it's massive and incredibly yeah. enticing. If you're a knob twiddler, it's incredibly enticing. But it's, and it's real know, analog. The, yeah, the no, Pro- Dave Smith stuff is digital. It yeah, sounds fantastic. I know, but, but it, you know. I'm, and it kind of has this brown hue, and I don't know. I wasn't too jazzed about it. Anyhow, all that to say, the Schmidt 20K keyboard, it, it made an impression. And apparently a lot of people have been writing about it, so maybe he'll sell one or two, you know, or four. Um, a couple things. Um, I'll tell you what. Uh, a couple winners that I think were as Universal Audio, I thought they showed really well. Um, I thought um, some of the um, – uh, you know, Isotope and the, the major players with the software. I thought they they showed well. I'll tell you a couple of people that I think were didn't show well. Were kind of losers. And and the first one that pops into my brain right off the bat is is Roland. I was so disappointed with Roland. And even their big um, their big keyboard that they were um, the F series keyboard that they were. Um, rolling out it was basically a rehash of all their other sounds and it was just a little bit different UI and you could do things and it had you know the way you could sequence I mean the guy who was giving me the demo um, spent more time on workflow and sequencing on it than he did about the sounds because the sounds are like the Roland sounds and I was really disappointed they didn't have their new drum machine there um, that's not going to show until this month as a matter of fact and and yet they teased it right before the NAMM show it's just it was really really weird it was just i don't know they they're no longer down on the main floor they're in the they're up at the very top floor um their booth is isn't any 
you know, it's smaller. Oh, it's like a fifth of the size yeah, that it was just, a few years ago. It's just Roland. I, I mean, I love Roland. I mean, I grew up with Roland. I mean, that they they hold. The first time I heard a JX eight P on the the warm string patch, just I mean, it goosebumps, right? To see them just kind of struggle and kind of lose their way. I mean. I don't know. I was really concerned about Roland, and and to that matter, you know, Yamaha. Their their show didn't look that great as far as their keyboards and stuff. I mean, it was you walked into that main room where where they put our good friend um, Greg Ondo and the whole Steinberg stuff, and his stuff was really small. It just to me, it seemed very defensive. Both of those companies were in a very defensive pose. There weren't. Off, you know, they weren't like, "Hey, man, we're doing this and we're 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 bringing this out." It seemed like it was some of the same stuff, and it might have been, you know, great stuff. I actually, I know the Cubase; they were showing some really cool stuff. Um, but it's just they were in a very defensive situation, and I was really, I was really kind of, you know, I was thinking, "Man, that's something's happening there." You know, something with those big players. There's some there's some problems going on there. Well, here's here's the thing. Here's my thought about certainly. A, let's just talk about Yamaha for a second, okay? So you can't – I mean what is a tremendous amount of their business? They make very fine pianos. Right. They make a lot of band instruments. They make great drums. They make great percussion. They make a ton of really, really nice acoustic instruments. And that's stuff whose technology you know, is really pretty state. It's pretty static. It's hard for them to move forward with that. So you can't you – know, I can't expect – that I go to the Yamaha booth and I'm going to see, you know, some new fantastic thing happening in in pianos. I mean, you know, the C7's been around a long time. It's a great piano. It's really hard for them to be able to sort of up their game along those lines. Um, and so then, so then the trickier part comes in. You know, what do you do? What do you do with the electronic technology? What do you do with the digital technology? And I guess in the case of both Roland and Yamaha and these larger, you know, these larger corporations that have, you know, that, that have to do a lot of ruling by committee and so forth, the question becomes, can you really innovate tremendously year on year? Is that something that you can even do? I mean, you can if you have a, you sink some money into R and D and you keep moving forward. I mean, I, I, you know, you don't expect them to, I don't, you know, I like the way they show their pianos. I think it's very classy. You know, I, I love going to all the expensive piano manufacturers and just playing, playing the piano. Oh, the Fazioli's and the great stuff. It's just stuff I'll never touch. I just love just, I mean, it can make my, you know, my octave chords sound amazing. (laughs) Right. But, but, um, I don't know on the on the stuff they can do like the synthesizers and and uh, Steinberg. Steinberg has some really cool stuff. Some of the remote apps and some of that stuff that was really cool. And and I don't know they just to be kind of stuck there. Rob, what do you think? Well, I think on first of all on the piano side, I wasn't aware that Yamaha had bought Bosendorfer. So hmm. that's one way to up your game. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, and so the Bosendorfer display was right there near Yamaha. Yeah. And, you know, personally, I still drool over the Yamaha CF3S. At some point, there will be one of those in my living room uh, when I spend enough time in my living room to justify it, basically. <laughs> but uh, spectacular piano. I mean, I'm very familiar with Bosendorfers from having used them with Stevie for so many years. But, you know, that's about as high end as pianos get, uh, you know, other than the, the beautiful artwork that, is a, that a Fazioli is. But... You know, it's hard to 
imagine someone saying that a top of the line Yamaha or top of the line Bosendorfer doesn't sound good enough or something. Right. Oh, absolutely. And at that point, it's just a matter of what's your flavor. You know, yeah. do you like the sound exactly. of a Steinway or a Bosendorfer or a Yamaha? They're all yeah. great. Well, you know, and I think the way in that market you acquire the competition and you acquire the biggest players, and that's that's how you innovate. I mean, uh, the electronics, I, it feels very stale with everybody. Well, of, of course, Yamaha just bought Line Six. Right. And one of the reasons why they bought them was because of their engineering. Now, it's not that they make synths at all, but they do have some really good engineers that are really smart in the digital space and, the, of course, the, the um, modeling space. Yeah. No, I mean, maybe there's something coming around the corner. So yeah. maybe it's one of those shows. I'll tell you who else who didn't have – go ahead. Well, I was just going to say they also they weren't talking much about the line six thing because the deal wasn't completely done yet. I don't know if it is now. No, the first day of the show, it was finished. Oh, was it okay? First day. I I was with that was Thursday. I was with a bunch of the line six guys on Wednesday, and they were saying we're not officially talking about it. I didn't realize it was one day away. One day away, Rob. You were you were so close and yet so far. So close and yet no. So <laughs> I tell you who else that I thought did not have a good show and and. And that's Avid, all right? I thought their booth was it – was, it was a lot of show, a lot of flash, but they didn't have a – you know, look at their venue system. They're pretty much – almost looks like they've abandoned that, you know? It, uh, there's a lot of live sound um, mixers that use their venue system, but since they can't do 96K, they're bailing on them left and right. And SSL um, was pushing theirs hard. Yeah, and, and so I think – and you see it, you know? S, I mean – you know, I think the best way I could sum this up is when I saw the show this time, to me, DigiDesign was truly dead. I mean, it was, there was, there's not even a remnant of DigiDesign. It's all avid and it's not necessarily better. I mean, the other thing is, is I went and I looked at the new S series and I'm sorry, but it looks kind of cheap. It's flat and it's these little modules and they're all Ethernet together. And I look at a board like, um, like the, the D control or the D command that I work on or, or like Rob's D control. You walk in there, that thing is built. It's big. Big, it, you look like you're getting your money's worth. It's a nice, solid piece of, of furniture, and and it looks great. And I looked at the at the S6, and it's black, it's flat, and it's doing way more with the color of the knobs than it is actually the buttons that you have there. Now, I'm not saying it's not cool, but it's also really expensive. You know, I mean, the board that they were showing was was over 150 grand. I mean, it was ridiculous how expensive that stuff is. So you look at that, you look at that the no show. You didn't see. I mean, I remember days and and um, uh, Nam shows the past where they. Where they had the Wazoo guys. Remember those guys when they were just came from actually from Steinberg, and they were um, they were doing all the really cool stuff like strike and structure and all that stuff. And you just didn't see it. And and to me, it reflect where they are in their business. It, to me, they're very they're very defensive. They're not very offensive. And and you see that with you know the way they price their upgrades. The fact that you can't buy here's here's something you cannot buy a um, producers, um, what was it? The producers toolkit. Producers toolkit. Right. Yeah. You can't buy that for eleven, right? You need to have in order to have those functions, you need to have eleven HD. Okay. And I go on their website, and their website says in order to maintain, you know, the question in their in their in their fact was why don't you have a producer's toolkit for um, 11? And it was in order to maintain the integrity 
of the uh, of the software of your experience. You know, we require certain things. The funny thing is the integrity that, of their financial. Yeah, models, yeah. Is yeah. the integrity mean. of their stock but, price. But the yeah. funny thing is, is if you bought the producer's toolkit, you could upgrade to Pro Tools 11 HD without having to buy hardware for. It was like 800 bucks, or maybe even less than that. So apparently all the guys that had the old producer's toolkit, you know, their rigs must you know, meet the standard that, that the, you know, I don't know. It just seems crazy that they're speaking out of both ends of their mouth. So they're giving upgrades over here, but yet you can't buy Pro Tools 11 without the hardware. And I just think it holds a lot of people's studio as hostage. And I know, you know, it's to me it seems like they're afraid because they know if they get Pro Tools 11 out there without their hardware – Guess what? You're going to be buying an Apollo. <laughs> You're going to be buying an Orion. You're going to be buying all these other um, software, uh, all these other audio interfaces, rather than what what Avid has. You know, and and I'm not. I don't have a vendetta against Avid. Avid actually, you know, Pro Tools made my career. I've been mixing on it for a long, long time. You know, since '97, I've been mixing post production on Pro Tools. So. I really, really like the platform. I really, really dug DigiDesign. But as I see Avid and I see what they're doing and I see how they're pricing, I think in the long run it's only going to hurt themselves. I think – you wait. All you need is some Bitwig-like studio coming out that targets Avid and specifically the way the mixing is. Um, and and it, it's – you know. You don't need machine control anymore because a lot of people <laughs> aren't even laying back to machines. You know, you get into post production, you have a good surround mixer. I tell you, it's it's you know they're going to be in a lot of trouble. But there's, I mean, there's always stuff out there. I mean, I think it's been universally agreed upon by a lot of people who are in the know that Nuendo has got a lot of really very very powerful post production features that Pro Tools doesn't. It didn't take over. Reaper right. is sixty nine bucks. It didn't right. take over. Right. And and I think all that has to do with with the UI. And I think that all has to do like look. There's been a lot of software, and and you know, a lot of times it won't take off until they hit that magic little little point where it's it's workability and writing and recording, and it crosses over. And Avid has that right now. No one. And I, that's what I mean. All is it's going to take is someone's going to go after it. Someone's going to nail it, and then it, it's it's. You know, we're going to be all mixing on something else. What, Rob? I mean, uh, in the case of Nuendo, it was purely because they marketed it so terribly. Yeah, Nuendo, Nuendo was great. Nuendo was amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and for a while there, Nuendo had an um, the sound engine was so much better than Avid. I mean, I can't say that anymore. But for a while there, they had that 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 leg up on the um, on the sound, and and I think it was. I think a lot of it, Rob, was because. When it came out, you know, it was being marketed, you know, by the. It was still a German company, so it was just a whole different philosophy on how they were, uh, well, how they were doing. It was the main problem they made. The main mistake they made in Hollywood is they were sending music guys to sell a post product, and you can't right. do that. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. So I thought, I thought, you know, to you know, the Avid booth, I thought was was very defensive. I, I if I was going to put the the you know the Roland and the Yamaha and the Avids together as as companies that. You know, weren't necessarily on the innovative side of things. Were kind of being a little cautious and kind of living in a shadow of what they once were. You know, and um, the biggest crowd I saw in the Avid booth is when Dave Pensado did his Pensado's place from uh, from Avid. You know, and that's 
that was the biggest crowd. You, you know? know, you know, another one that was, and this isn't quite in the realm of of what we deal with all the time, but Mackie. Yeah. Now Mackie was upstairs on the third floor, I think, and as far as they're concerned, there is no Mackie anymore. It's loud. The only if you look at the new mixers, there's a logo of the Running Man, and that's it. It doesn't say who it's from. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. And and the booth was really small. It was a room on the third floor, but it was really small, and it didn't even say Mackie loud anything. It said Ampeg. Oh man! When you walked into the left, it was they they loud the loud technologies purchased Ampeg. Wow. And uh, what happened? What happened to Mackie? Well, they were purchased by Loud Technologies. Oh, I see. And um, and they're letting it die. Well, they they're rebranding it. For sure. Which I mean, is, they had some new products, see, but they're rebranding. That's it. That's a shame because Mackie. I remember when Mackie first came out. They were the hip new little company yeah. that was taking over. I mean, more than you know, fifty percent of my mixer friends, you know, learned on the sixteen oh four. I mean, that was like the small little mixer that you had in your. It actually sounded good too. Everybody yeah. had yeah. everybody yeah. had Mackie stuff. I mean, everybody. I have one at my house right now. It's what I run all my studio through. Is is that yeah. still? And uh, yeah, it's just a that's a that's a shame that they're they're gone. One one more thing that I saw that was really. Uh, noteworthy. There was a Pioneer professional booth, also on the third floor. And when you walked in, it was this room that the only thing it really had over in the left-hand corner was a huge stack of horn-loaded speakers. And even, I don't know if you remember the, the huge uh, community horns, bass horns that right. they used to have. Well, they had a version of those. Wow. And this stack went 10 feet high. Oh, man. There's nobody in the room to tell you what it was for. There, it, there was no, hardly any information. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. And yet this stack looks so impressive, like it would kill you if they turn it on. You know? <laughs> and then over in the corner, they had a couple of turntables, the other corner. And that was it. It was just the weirdest display (laughs) I've ever seen. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Rob, did you want to say something? Yeah, my biggest disappointment for the show was actually the entire downstairs weirdo hall. Oh, the the East East Hall. Oh, I scored, brother. (laughs) To me, it was a bunch of boring guitars and ukuleles. I mean, there was, and Chinese manufacturers, there was so little of the just, Wide variety of crazy out of the box uh, thinking. You're you're right. I could I, you no know. software down there either. No, no. There were yeah. some modular synths. The I modular mean, all those little mom cool. and pop modular synth manufacturers. Eurorack, Eurorack. That stuff is yep. awesome. I mean, I'm I I would love to put together a little Eurorack rack. As a matter of fact, I this is just between you, me, and the wall, and and whoever else is listening to the podcast, which is seven people. Um, I always I'm trying to convince API. I was thinking, man, get your little DI box, make a little Eurorack API DI, because all that analog, boy, if I was running my own little rack and then to be able to run it, you know, you go through your oscillators, you go over filters, boo boo, and your last stop is some fat digital analog goodness. I mean, that is a, to me, that would be awesome. That takes your rack into another sonic state. And, uh, yeah, but, but they'll sell twelve of them. I mean, that's well, the problem. Yeah, I mean, but you know what? They 
hey, some of the other manufacturers, they're, they're got to sell some of them, you know? And, and, uh, I don't know. I, I, I just think it's, it's cool. It's a cool, it's gaining traction and, uh, and we'll see where it goes because there's a lot of great modules that do in a modular form from drum machines to, to little, uh, mono looking programmers and things like that. It's, it's pretty amazing. I've never been to Music Mesa, but a friend of mine who goes every year told me that, that whole Eurorack thing is huge yeah. over there, and they have a whole hall that's nothing but that. See, wow. that, that, yeah. see it's not big here, but yeah, over it's there, it's it's huge, so we'll see. Well, so maybe it's not big here yet. Maybe, you know what? Maybe I'll see if I can license it. Ah, ah, there you go. Good thinking, good thinking. Ah, nobody tell API what I'm thinking. <laughs> I just think, you know, you don't have to everything, but man, get that analog, get a fat, you know, a tone control on that, well, that would be great. I, I wonder what the specs are because how much voltage are you pulling out on those little modules? Because, you know, it's literally, it's a rack. and there's Probably no, 12. Yeah, and there's no, um, it's not like you plug into any power supply. You bring your own power supply for but, whatever but, module. What does what, what uh, an API, API module need? It's I, 20, 28, I think, right? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not quite sure, but it yeah. does, it has enough juice for a lot of stuff you want to make sure that you've got really wide rails to be able to handle yeah yeah you know okay it was distorting it was a good fantasy while i was Uh, thinking about it anyhow well hey i did i did want to give one couple couple of other shout outs real quickly absolutely so the rob papen blue two synthesizer which really awesome to me rob p-a-p-e-n dot com he's a a a dutch synth programmer and and he was there he was there and he was demoing his stuff and it sounded great and it was 179 bucks and it was like 2000 patches and it just it sounded really nice i love finding stuff like that. it sounded just like the schmidt it's, it's <laughs> Rob. I'll give a double shout out to Rob Papen. At every show, I always go up and just shake his hand and thank him for another year of amazing stuff because he is truly a synth god. It yeah. is unbelievable the stuff that he does. And he also he wrote a book. I saw a copy of it sitting there. He wrote it a few years ago, but a book on like basic synthesis and how to operate basic analog synthesis, which is just unbelievably well written and illustrated. That's crazy. He's just he's a synth god and every product he does just sounds amazing and um, he does the majority of those presets himself which is incredible he's very very fast but yeah he is one of my true heroes when it comes to that stuff I think the blue 2 is going to be out I thought he told me end of February again somewhere in March that would be the time for it Um, and then the other the other company that I absolutely well there's a lot of companies I love but the one that I really love um, is Radial, the Canadian company. Oh, they yeah, have yeah. so many fantastic yeah. little boxes that are so useful in the studio. They're rugged as hell. They're so well built. And they also own Prime Acoustic, who are one of my favorite acoustics manufacturers. I've bought so many of their, their London kits. So, you know, if you're listening at home and you, you know, you want to get some acoustics to be able to make your room sound better, plug and play, very high quality stuff, really nice. It looks really great on the, on the wall. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, listen, Nam was fun. I totally enjoyed it. It was good running into all you guys there. I mean, it was great. It was. I saw Nick. I did not see you. I know. Mickey I did really not see. Mo- that was actually the weird thing about Nam for me. I didn't see. Wait, most everyone that I know. Really quick. Are you sure you were at Guitar Center? Wait. 
There's one really close to the map. Well, you, you, you made your way. It was, I, I was noticing how small I was going to say, was. let's see, you didn't see the energy. Yeah. It was easy parking. It was yeah. a security that guy, but it was just one. It was just one guy checking guys on the way out. That was a map show. That was guitar sound. Uh, maybe, maybe next year. Maybe next year. Uh, yeah, but uh, it was fun. It was great. I, I'll tell you, I have to I have to shout out this. Um, I put it on my Twitter feed too. But the thing I love about Nam is where else can you go into a booth, specifically the Korg booth, and see a great band oh, being yeah. thrown together? Um, and the band that I was just watching through was, uh, I know the drummer was Steve Smith and the bass player was uh, Victor Wooten. And I didn't see the guitar player. But it was he, Frank Kambali. Was it? Yes, it was. Oh, oh. Uh, and, and the keyboard player was, um, I want to say... He tours. He tours with the Stones. He's um, oh Chuck, Chuck Lavelle. Lavelle. Chuck, Chuck Lavelle. Was it him? I wanted. Maybe it wasn't him because I don't think that was it. Anyhow, great, great keyboard player, and those guys were rocking. They were rocking, and even though I was listening through, just you know, through the the glass there, it was it was awesome. And that to me has always been the the attraction at Nam. Ever since when I first started going, you know right out of high school and just seeing some of these guys just play, um, you know, jam sessions in the ballroom. It was like that, that to me is, is, is hearing real music by great musicians kind of is a great way to kind of wrap this all up. I get, can I tell the Hammond story, Hammond jam story? Go ahead. Very briefly. So I went to the Hammond soul summit being a Hammond organ player, I always do. And first of all, it was awesome. Keith Emerson came out and he played a little bit. Um, he hasn't played a lot in recent years because he has a lot of nerve damage in his hands. And so to have, you know, a true giant, I mean, basically the keyboard rock star come out and do a little bit was wonderful. Um, <laughs> it was so raw. They ended the whole thing with Freebird and the piano player from Leonard Skinner <laughs> comes out and they start performing Freebird. None of the rest of the people had practiced it. And it was, it was hilarious. I mean, they were all great musicians and you know, you know that they're all completely phenomenal when they're doing their thing. This sounded worse than the worst top 40 band trying to lay down free bird. That's awesome. <laughs> That's pretty sad. It was that pretty sounds sad. like an awesome moment. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it a, was such a Nam moment. Tom Coster. That's oh, who it was. Oh, sure. oh, it was Tom Coster. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was, yeah that was Santana. The, that was yeah. that was. He had a fusion awesome. band with Steve Smith called Bubble that's Information. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. No, it was it was amazing. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's okay. That's that's enough. I just want to tell my Freebird story. <laughs> well, anyhow, um, so uh, if you guys want to find out more about Nam, go online. There's plenty of uh, websites that do a little rundown and everything. My blog, actually. Actually, yeah, okay. Bobby Osinski and. Bobby had some of your readers following you around, right? Uh, and some of your the, this year, I tried something different. I made uh, four hours worth of appointments every half hour or fifteen minutes, and uh, I invited a bunch of my readers if they wanted to come along. And it was limited to eight, and uh, I had a little more and then a little less. Uh, on and off as we went. But it was great. It was very exhausting, but we had a good time, and they had a real good time because they met some people they wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. You know, and got some demos that were kind of inside school. You know, So it was a lot of fun. And we came by the API booth, and, and Mike helped us out, and it was great. Hey, the thing I like about 
you know, hanging out with the a- API guys is I like where their booth is, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you're yeah, in a little very break. well placed. Exactly, right? It's right there. You're kind of in the middle of everything, but it's a good, good, you know, nice place for a yeah. break and stuff. But um, yeah, it was great. It was really good. Rob? I'll also say I want to give a quick shout out to Thomas Vent, who's a friend of the show. Oh, yes. And he was at the, uh, the Kemper, uh, you know, the Access and Kemper booth. The Kemper profiler amplifier is really, really cool. But uh, Thomas said he still listens to the show. He's he'd love to come back on as a guest, uh, and we got to make that happen. He's just a great guy, and he's always supported us really well. Yeah, no, we got to do that. I, I I ran and I talked to him too, and didn't get to spend as much time as I wanted to. Um, but yeah, he's a great guest, and and I think the reason why I don't bring him on more often is because when he talks, he really makes me sound like a you know six <laughs> six year old. He does have an amazing voice. He has an amazing voice, and I just, I just depresses me for a week. Well, he said, you know, when he's on, he's often in Germany skyping in. He said he's willing to get up in the middle of the night. And I also talked; he was right there with Christoph Kemper, who you know is the inventor of the virus yeah. and yeah. all these things. He said he'd love to come on too. So we got to hold them to it. Get them to wake up at 3 a.m. and join us for a nice conversation. All right. Well, we're going to do it. I've, I've lined up. Actually, that was the other thing is I've lined up uh, a couple really good. Uh, Pod, uh, podcast guests, so um, it's gonna be fun. This next year is gonna be fun. You know, you do realize we're starting our eighth year as a podcast. That's crazy. I mean, we're like, you know, I thought we were gonna do like four. And this back is, when yeah. you started, you had hair all the way down to your butt. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Anyhow, well, hey, we gotta wrap this up. Uh, it's been great, and um, thank you, Mickey, for uh, hanging out with us. You bet. And uh, I got a text from Scott that he was still with his clients, so he couldn't make it, and that's why he's not here. Um, but uh, you know, clients make all this happen in the long run. Um, before we go, anybody? Uh, I'm just gonna open it up. Anybody have anything they want to talk about that they're working on or uh, want to plug? I got so excited after NAM that I went back um, and bought another 16 gigs of RAM for my Mac Pro and uh, put it in and updated to OS 10.8.5 and got Logic Pro 10 and uh, the new version of Logic is smoking. Oh. It's it's fantastic. Got to check that out, uh, Mickey. Yes. I know you have your 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 uh, guitar. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. you know what? I want to bring you back oh. and then we'll talk about that. Okay, I want to give you more than just you know. 30 seconds here. Sounds like a plan. uh, Because uh, it sounds like a great, great guitar, and we should talk about that. Um, definitely. um, Rob, I know you're uh, in Philadelphia. Yeah, looking forward to escaping the snow, hopefully tomorrow for a few days in New York, but then I'm going to swing through Austin. We're actually working on the first single for my band project down there and starting to get in treatments for the first music video, and this will definitely not be a secret come this spring. Things are lining up for it to uh, come out in a big way, so... Uh, I love going to Austin is like a roll of the dice. I've been there when I was there a couple weeks ago within the same week, it was 20 degrees and 80 degrees. Wow. So you never know what you're getting there, but, uh, the music is going really well down there and I'm looking forward to being back down there. That's awesome. Bobby, how about you? Uh, at NAMM, my new persona studio live book came out, which is, uh, the official book for that. And that's kind of cool. Really? Yeah. Um, I'm, Working on a couple books right now. One I'm proofing, another one, third edition of the Mastering Engineer's Handbook, and a bunch of stuff coming up. But one of the things that might be the most exciting is uh, we may be doing Guitar Universe again. Uh, we stopped um, three or four years ago. We stopped production, but it looks like that might get going again. Awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, hey, listen, the only thing I'm going to plug right now is the fact that 
yet again, Nam did not let me down. And on Sunday, I went on a buying fest. Uh oh. <laughs> I did not buy any Chinese microphones. Um, you know what? I've had enough of those. Then they're yeah, done. Yeah. Then they're you, done. You, you have enough drawers of That's lousy right. microphones, right. and you just keep going to the good There's ones. There's no all the time such thing see. as a lousy microphone. There's just lousy applications for that microphone. There you go. Fair yeah. enough. I stand corrected. <laughs> what did you buy, Mike? Um, so my latest thing is is you go to the Chinese manufacturers for cables, all right? Because these are guys that make the cables for all the the ones that we you know we buy and. I picked up XLR cables, and it's the ones we're using right now, for three bucks a pop. Ooh. And these are not cheap cables, my friends. These are wrapped. I've got some that are uh, color-wrapped, fabric-wrapped. Um, they I don't are, know if they sound good, but they sure do look nice. They look good, <laughs> but you know what? For three bucks? Yeah. For a podcast that goes out at 64K, <laughs> it, it works really, hey, really three well. Three bucks for an XLR cable is pretty good because it's you can't good. even buy a connector for right. that. Right. No. I, I also got a tuner like the, um, the Snark. Like the Snark. Three bucks a pop. And they had a gazillion of them. They were selling them like, you know, like candy. And I was like, because I asked how much for the tuner, and she said $3. And I was like, holy smokes. Three bucks, so I bought two of them, um, and then I bought a little amplifier, a little pig nose kind of knockoff thing for thirty bucks because um, wow. my son got Rocksmith, and he, he I got him an electric guitar for uh, for his birthday, and um, yeah, so for thirty bucks you get this little thing. And by the way, I got to give a shout out to Rocksmith. If you guys want to know how to play guitar, a fast, easy way to learn. By Rocksmith, that it is amazing, and and my son is special needs. Uh, I know a lot of you guys out there know that, but you know he's special needs, and and he the hardest part. He picked up the lessons really good. He was having a little hard time on the on the concept of tuning um, because he would he would move the um, the tuning head just a little too much, but. It's great, you know. It worked out really good. He's he's jamming. He's spending hours, you know, learning how to play guitar. So I got to give a shout out to them. But all I have to say is, Holly on a Sunday did not let me do. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, listen. If you have any comments or questions for us, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. I want to thank. Um, I've gotten a couple of messages from. Um, from a couple of listeners, um, Paul sent one as well as I got another one from uh, a guy named Randy, and they're just really uplifting, just really great. And you know, that's what kind of motivates. We get a lot of positive feedback when we meet people at trade shows, or you hear about people who listen to us, and it's just, you know, it's fun. And sometimes we, you know, this is like our card game, and we talk about it. But it's really great when we get feedback from people, and and I really appreciate that. Um, so. Having said that, you can also follow us at Twitter, Audio Now, at Audio Nowcast is our handle. So, guys, did I forget anything? Hey, did you get the uh, did you get the email about the book? I did. Yes. <laughs> did the guy show up? He actually did. He, yeah, he, he he emailed and was and he didn't get the message, but I think it was Facebook because I don't think I was his friend, but I sent him a message, and so he may. You know, You're his friend now. <laughs> he, got, he got my book. He got my book. <laughs> he got your book. Yeah. Uh, no, it just goes to show you know you, 
you know, we get, at least we get to give it away. I'm just happy we, we get to give it, it away. <laughs> so, so anyhow, well, you know, there will always be another one. Yes. But I'm glad uh, that that all worked out. All right, gang. Well, for myself and all the guys, thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and uses Aphex's 230 Master Channel Voice Processor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.